Welcome to Olden Code Crimes. My main focus is on true crime, including code cases, disappearances, and murders. The purpose of this podcast is not just to talk about the crimes, but to keep them alive and, with your help, solve some along the way. You can follow me on social media in the links in the description. And if you have case suggestions, you can email them to odencodecrimes at gmail.com. Thomas Stevenson was born on January 4, 1940, in Greenhill, Arkansas, to Walter and Sarah Stevenson. He was the youngest of 12 siblings with four older brothers and seven older sisters. He was a husband, father and grandfather, the grandson of a preacher, and an Air Force veteran. He joined the Air Force in 1957 when he was 17 and retired 30 years later. He retired as a Chief Master Sergeant, the Air Force's highest enlisted rank. During his military service, he served in five countries and eight states. He was awarded 11 medals, including the Bronze Star, Meritorious Service Medal, Four Oakleaf Clusters, and the Air Force Commendation Medal. About a year after he retired, Thomas started working as a civilian employee at the Davis-Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson, Arizona. He worked his way up to the top-level position of Deputy Supply Chief. He was the second-in-command of the Supply Squadron for the 355th Tactical Fighter Wing. He loved the Air Force and golf. According to his niece, Teresa Lyons, his whole life was the Air Force. The military is what he loved other than his golf game. Decades of military service created a life of routine for Thomas. Friends and neighbors said you could set your watch by him. Every weekday, his garage door opened at exactly 6 o'clock in the morning when he left for work, and again at 4.30 in the afternoon when he returned home. This spilled over into other aspects of his personal life as well. Thomas's closet was filled with pants and shirts hung by color. He had three sock drawers where each drawer contained a different color sock. One drawer for black, one for blue, and one for white. Neighbors said they would even see him mowing the lawn in clothes that were starched and pressed. Thomas even had a routine when it came to golf. He would regularly play golf with his friends at the Davis-Monthan Air Force Base on Sundays. When he returned home, he would always change his clothes and have a snack of popcorn and soda. But this sense of everything had to be in order didn't affect his personality. He was well-liked and respected as a supervisor and took care of his employees and airmen. Thomas's family said he was a good person, kind and compassionate. Everyone he met liked him. They said he was an all-around great guy. They also said he would not break from his routine. So his strict regimen and not having any enemies made what happened to him all the more baffling for family, friends, and police. Thomas Stevenson went missing on August 16, 1998, at the age of 58. He was last seen leaving the Davis-Monthan Air Force Base around 11.30 in the morning after playing a round of golf with friends. His wife of almost 30 years, Suzanne Stevenson, was spending that weekend with a friend in Phoenix. She tried calling him to let him know what time she would be getting home on Monday, but there was no answer. 
She tried several more times, but still no answer. She tried one last time at 9 o'clock in the evening, a half hour past his bedtime, and still he did not answer. She began to worry. Suzanne tried to convince herself he was taking a shower, working in the yard, or doing something else where he couldn't come to the phone. But she was still in Phoenix when she received a call from his secretary the next morning telling her he hadn't shown up for work. She knew right then something was wrong. As did his friends and colleagues. They said for Thomas not to come to work was something that just didn't happen. One of his co-workers said Thomas's car would already be in the parking lot when he arrived to work. So when he arrived for his shift 30 minutes early on that Monday morning and Thomas's car wasn't there, he knew something wasn't right. With Mrs. Stevenson still out of town, his co-workers went to their home to search for him. The front doors of the house were locked and his car, a 1985 dark brown Nissan 300ZX, wasn't there. They went around to the back of the house and found the sliding glass door was unlocked. They went inside and didn't see anything unusual and there were no signs of a struggle. They called the Tucson Police Department and Mrs. Stevenson reported him missing. When police arrived on scene, they immediately suspected foul play. When Suzanne returned home from her trip on Monday, she noticed the comforter was gone from their bed his glasses that he could not see without were in the bedroom. Mrs. Stevenson said his vision was so bad, he had to put on his glasses to walk from the bedroom to the bathroom, and his car was not in the garage. She knew he didn't leave the house alone because he couldn't see to drive without his glasses. There were no signs of a struggle or forced entry, so Mrs. Stevens believes her husband knew them. She said Thomas would never let a stranger into their home. She went on to say, My husband knew the person who came in the house and did that to him. It breaks my heart. I feel like sometimes I'm in a bad dream and can't wake up out of it. Over the course of the next few days, investigators became more and more confused. The family received a call from someone demanding $20,000 and Thomas's glasses. But the caller didn't say where to take the money or what would happen if they didn't comply. Then someone tried twice to use Stevenson's credit card at two different ATM locations. The first attempt was the day he disappeared. Someone heavily disguised tried to make a withdrawal from the Bank One walk-up ATM at West River Road and North Campbell Avenue. The second attempt was the next day. Someone with a cloth wrapped around their face tried to make a withdrawal from a drive-up Bank One cash machine at Indian School Road and 33rd Street in Phoenix. They did not get any cash either time because they input the wrong pin. On August 18, 1998, two days after he went missing, Thomas's 1985 Nissan 300ZX was towed to the Jim Click Nissan dealership at 850 West Auto Mile Drive in Tucson. Police said a man called for the car to be towed. He said the car wasn't running right, asked for it to be towed, and said he would pick it up later. They didn't know who called for the tow, and still do not to this day. Almost a week after Thomas Stevenson's disappearance on Saturday, August 22, 1998, 
Around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, a dealership employee noticed a strong smell. He traced it to a car parked behind the body shop. The car was the 1985 Nissan 300ZX that belonged to Thomas Stevenson. The employee looked in the back window of the car and saw a leg sticking out from underneath a blanket and a sunshade. He called the police. Police found the body of a man wrapped in a comforter and tied with a nylon strap. While police had their suspicions the body was Thomas Stevenson's because the car belonged to him, they could not identify the victim due to the state of decomposition. The coroner would need to perform an autopsy and use dental records or fingerprints to confirm the identity of the victim. Police, however, did confirm the death of the person in the vehicle was, in fact, a homicide. On Monday, August 24, 1998, investigators worked most of the day trying to find the person who called for the tow because it could have been the killer or someone with information, but they were never found. On August 26, 1998, the body found in the back of the 1985 Nissan 300ZX was officially identified as Thomas Stevenson. The coroner had to use dental charts to make the identification. The cause of death was determined to be homicide by strangulation. And the coroner found popcorn in his stomach, which confirmed for the family he made it home after his golf game. But what happened after that still remains a mystery. A secretion was found on the nylon strap and it was sent to the crime lab for testing, but it was too deteriorated to find any DNA evidence. The car showed no signs of forced entry and no motive was established. Investigators were baffled and said it was a mysterious case. Thomas Stevenson was an average everyday person who plays golf, disappears, and then his car gets towed to the service center where it sits for days with his body in the back. They do not believe it was a random killing. They believe he was targeted but do not know why. A detective working the case said most homicides in Tucson are gang-related, drug-related, or acts of passion, so a random murder would be highly unusual. They considered robbery as a motive, but valuables were left untouched in Thomas and Suzanne's Rita Ranch home. Investigators spent hours interviewing family and friends and following up on leads, but no suspect has ever been named. They couldn't find anyone who didn't like him, much less someone who wanted him dead. There was a rumor that three men talked to him on the golf course the day he disappeared, but it was never substantiated. Friends and family spent hours posting missing person flowers and even faxed them to local hotels, but this rendered no new leads or evidence. His wife Suzanne said, I don't know who could do such a thing. Everybody loved him. His niece said her uncle was one of the nicest men you could ever meet. You watch TV and think none of this would ever happen to anyone you know. Suzanne decided to bury Thomas in Greenhill, Arkansas, his hometown, after his full military funeral service. Before he was laid to rest, she had him cremated and took him back to their home. She said he didn't deserve to leave his home the way he did. He deserved to leave out the front door with her. Suzanne has since moved from Tucson to an undisclosed location. To this day, 
There are no suspects and the motive remains unknown. Several of Thomas's siblings passed away without knowing what happened. His sister Nina said they don't understand who would do this. He was the least likely person this would happen to. He was a good person, kind and compassionate. He always has been. They believe it would have taken more than one person to subdue and move him. They hope he wasn't looking into the eyes of someone he knew, trusted, or loved when it happened. His four surviving sisters, Eloise, Nina, Laura, and Irma, are losing hope his case will be solved in their lifetime, but they are determined to find out what happened to their baby brother so they and his daughter will have peace. If you have any information regarding this case, please contact the Tucson Police Department. That's it for this episode of Odin Code Crimes. If you have information regarding this case, contact details are in the description. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for this case and others with images, videos, news releases, and more. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.